All right, let's go. Grace, peace, and welcome to Podcast of the Wills. I'm Steve Renault. And I am Nick Milky. Nick, I messed up my opening again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's because of this flipping episode is getting in my mind because this was this was an amazing episode and Huge. ridiculously short. Ridiculously short. Less than half an hour if you take out the recap and the credits. Uh, but before we dive into this ridiculously short episode, and it will be a Titanic feat if we can actually make a podcast that is shorter than this episode, but <laughs> we do have two pieces of news. Uh, the first one was Dave Filoni uh, in an interview with Vanity Fair basically told the fan base, everybody go rewatch the epilogue of uh, the last episode of uh, Rebels. And so if you haven't done that yet, recommend you do it. You can easily find it. Just type in Rebels epilogue into uh, YouTube and you can watch it. But basically what Filoni floated was, hey, that epilogue might ha- maybe takes place after uh, chapter uh, the chapter on the Jedi, the one we just watched last week. So that has some interesting implications. What do you think about that, Nick? I think it's fantastic. I think it's a fun way to think about it. I think we get some little Easter eggs and teases that go with that. Um, we get Ahsoka in the robe at the beginning of the episode. That is the robe that we see her in when she approaches Sabine on Lothal. Um, one interesting maybe not easter egg maybe not connection but it seems too close to maybe not be is when we see ahsoka on lothal she comes out of her ship and she has that staff in her hand and she just taps it on the ground one or two times and that staff is very very eerily similar to the beskar staff that it has a distinctive ping yeah it has a distinctive sound the difference being the staff in last week's episode from the magistrate had a spear tip on it whereas ahsoka's staff has a ring on the top and it's very interesting to me that maybe at some point does mando give her that spear does she maybe put that cap on top of the spear or change the top out and also kind of interestingly connected to that is there were some images that I saw on Twitter that I sent to you earlier this yeah. week that the belt that Ahsoka is wearing in the Jedi episode um, has a metal ring right in the middle of it and if the close up zoom in picture it appears to have the Loth Wolves on it and the design mirrors that of the doorway in the World Between Worlds episode of Rebels and so, of course, there's a part of me that wants to think, well, that's the ring at the top of that staff. And somehow it got transferred and conver- I don't know, but it just it seems like it could be anything. But it, it, it opens up more possibilities. And, of course, it just gives the mind something fun to think about. Yeah, well, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe it's their search for Ezra is to go out into the wild space or unknown regions, or maybe it's to open the door between worlds and nab him out of that situation on the uh, deck of the Star Destroyer, much like uh, they nabbed Ahsoka out of her uh, near destruction with Vader. So, mm-hmm. nevertheless, I definitely mean, it definitely looks like, you know, I would be shocked if we don't get a live-action Sabine, uh, Ren. Sure. Uh, you know, I still don't know if we're going to get a live-action Thrawn. Uh, we, we may, uh, but it, it, it should be pretty interesting. But, it, I mean, it also, live-action Sabine, live-action Ezra. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, definitely... Uh, making the fan base uh, go and watch some stuff. Uh, well, and it opens up those other questions like, if this takes place before that, then she's very much on the hunt. And so, like you said, does she already have Sabine with her on the hunt for Thrawn because she's looking for Ezra? 
if it takes place after and Thrawn is back, what does that mean for Ezra? Uh, yeah. it, it opens up the questions in a variety of different directions, which I'm sure is the intent by these very smart and clever story writers and creators. But it, again, it's just lots to think about and theorize. Well, it answers the question too, where was Sabine? I thought they teamed up when we last saw him and the answer was, uh, they haven't teamed up yet. Sabine's apparently, if, if, if this is true, then Sabine's on Luthor. So, uh, but there's another piece of news, Nick, uh, uh, around the uh, Kenobi show. Absolutely. It was reported earlier this week that the production of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is actually set to begin in January, which is only nice. a few short weeks from now. Uh, we had originally heard that it was going to be either March or maybe early summer that it was going to start. Ewan McGregor had talked about that on the Graham Norton show a few months back. Um, but there is new details that they have moved that production schedule up to start it right after the first of the year, which, of course, is exciting for all of us because yeah. it even begs the question, could we have it before 2021 is out? It seems unlikely, but we don't know. It's a shorter amount of episodes, and odds are it seems like the way they've structured it, surely they would shoot it all at one time. Um, it might not be, you know, as drawn out. And um, I think it also just speaks to the success that Disney is seeing with the Mandalorian mm -hmm. and with all of its Star Wars properties right now, which is let's keep our foot on the gas. Let's keep things engaged so that we can build on this momentum. And I would say momentum that the Mandalorian has given, not necessarily the films, but you and I are in a little <laughs> bit of disagreement with that. However, um, no, I, I think I think the Mandalorian just crushing it is what is giving kind of the the green light for this, probably. Uh, and, uh, you know, the question is, you know, how much will the Kenobi showrunners look and see what the Mandalorian showrunners are doing? So, well, of course, Mandalorian, the whole thing could could, you know, the wheels could come off at any moment. We saw, uh, you know, wildly successful Game of Thrones just the last two years really the wheels came off of that and, and it didn't end well. Um, but nevertheless, I think that there's a lot to learn, not copy, but learn uh, from what is making this successful because, you know, there's a lot of people with nitpicks and all of this stuff with it. And, and, you know, but at the end of the day, the fan base is pretty well supportive and behind the Mandalorian. I've not seen or heard one person say how John Favreau is ruining star Wars. <laughs> I've not seen that. I mean, have you seen that? Or, I have not seen or, that. In fact, I've seen a lot of the opposite. A lot of, you know, there's some really funny memes out there about, I saw somebody actually texted me something this morning. Maybe, oh, it was you actually. You put it in our Facebook group <laughs> yeah. thread about, you know, the tr the severe back trauma and spinal injuries that John Favreau had suffered from bearing the weight of Star Wars on his shoulders by himself. Um, that was funny. There was one that came out, I think, last year after Rise of Skywalker came out that was the picture of the building falling over and seemingly being propped up by like one, two by four. And like the two by four was labeled John Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy was the building and star Wars was the car underneath the building. You know, it was this whole <laughs> deal. So we have seen, you know, that, as you said, related to the films, you haven't seen that related to the Mandalorian. In fact, I would even say you've seen the opposite. The Mandalorian is pulling in, I would even go so far as to say non-Star Wars fans. Yeah. You know, I ha we have the casual fans. We have the movie fans who really all they know is the movies. They haven't read the books and seen the shows, the animated shows. Um, but the example that I have given a couple of times this week is my mother. My mother knows what Star Wars is because, of course, I'm her kid and she's been around me for all this time. My dad is a Star Wars movies fan but doesn't really know any of the other stuff. But she's been watching Mandalorian with him. 
and she enjoys it so much that she told him she wants her own baby Yoda for Christmas. And so he called me with a secret mission to acquire the, acquire the asset for her for a Christmas (laughs) surprise. And so my mom, who is not a Star Wars fan really of any stripe, is drawn into this. And, you know, part of it is the appeal of baby Yoda, baby Grogu. Um, and that's also going to feed, you know, some other interesting story decisions that are going to have to be broached at some point down the line. Like, do we reach a point where something happens to baby Yoda, which leads us into the title of this episode, which is the, the tragedy. tragedy. I will say to defend, I'm going to do something I've never, I'm going to defend Kathleen Kennedy um, <laughs> to defend her though. I mean, a John Favreau does not do this without her green lighting it. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you have Favreau here doing this, the fact that you have Favreau and Filoni playing well together is Favreau could mm-hmm. have told Filoni to bug off, off, you know, but uh, I mean, you're definitely seeing this. There are some very Filoni things in Favreau's story, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if, if Filoni was not, if Filoni was not tied to the Mandalorian, you'd have a very different show right now. You would, you would, you right. might have like a lot of the, the overarching things, but these little things, these small connecting things to the, I mean, and I wouldn't even call them small, but there's a lot of Dave Filoni in this as well. And so I, I think, yeah, Filoni and Favreau, I, I've heard a lot of people saying like they're saving Star Wars. It's all on their shoulders. And that's because, uh, you know, the fan base is pretty well behind them. But I will say that the one thing that you can tell, though, that, that I think Kennedy got right uh, and, and, and it might've been with the weight of Favreau and Kennedy, but you're, you're telling Disney, cause I was thinking about your mom and wanting a, a baby grow. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get them last Christmas. Correct. Even though the Mandalorian had finished its run by Christmas, you couldn't get them last Christmas or, or it finished it, you know, it was wrapping up around then. Uh, but I mean, we met baby Yoda. We met Grogu on episode one. We met, we met him, you know, weeks before Christmas. And the fact that they were able to hold off Disney from fabricating toys for a massive season. Huge. I mean, that just shows, I mean, the fact that they were able to say, no, no, no we're going to keep this so secret that we're not even going to allow Mattel. We're not going to let anybody to have any inkling of what's happening here because to get the toys by Christmas, those things had to have started to be producing you know, months before the show even aired. So nevertheless, uh, I think, uh, I, I, I think that we're seeing star Wars being handled really well right now. I think we just want to see it continue to be handled well now. Uh, I, I, I long wonder what it would have been like to hand uh, Favreau the keys to the uh, sagas. But nevertheless, uh, those are two big moments uh, and news. Uh, Kenobi's uh, date being bumped up. You mm-hmm. don't think that they would put them on at the same time. I mean, because you're shooting now. Right. You, I mean, Kenobi would be ready to go by next fall. It, it seems unlikely, and we don't know. We know there will be a season three of Mandalorian. Yeah. That's confirmed. It's all but confirmed for a season four. But I don't know that we've seen anything about production on season three yet. So I'm guessing they might produce. They might run concurrently, as far as production goes, and utilizing that space depending on sets that they need. You can do so much with the volume that doesn't require full build outs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the production schedule like that and how that mirrors, you know, and well, and let me ask you this. And I don't remember now is Obi-Wan supposed to shoot at Pinewood. 
now that I, I think about I it, because Mandalorian shoots. I here. don't know. Yeah, Mandalorian shoots here. I don't know where. I can't remember where Obi Wan's shooting. That could that could add to the ability for them to do that as well. So I'm not uh, entirely sure. I think it'd be strange to have two shows on at the same time. I, like one a fall and one like a fall show, Agreed. and one like a spring show or something like that. Because these are short runs. These are not full runs. Right. Like yeah, a I think like a full run, like at the same time. You know, starting in August, September, and running to May sort of thing you know like mm-hmm. the classic tv show run i mean this is a well and short it, run for sure and it also brings in the other things that we haven't really mentioned but there is a rumored one if not two spinoffs from the mandalorian yet to be determined it could be ahsoka it could be boba fett it could be you know something else we also have the cassian series which is still seemingly on target of some sort there's rumors of a couple of potential animated shows. You've got the Bad Batch animated series that is going to come out. So there's going to be a lot more content in the next one to two years, and they are going to have to figure out a way to strategically spread it out. And I think, you know, like we've you've essentially seen almost in the past, I could see a live action and an animated running concurrently, but it seems yeah. harder to believe that you would have, you know, Cassian and Obi-Wan and Mandalorian season five all running, you know, yeah. a different day. A week. I, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine that. I think it'd be, I think it'd be content overload for fans. And I think, well, it, I think it would breed, I think play. it would breed confusion because, uh, you know, those three, those the three things you're, you're jumping around like crazy, but it's interesting. Sure. Disney is going small. I would say this, would, would you think this is an accurate statement? Disney is going smaller with star Wars, but wider in the galaxy. Absolutely um, correct. And they, you know, we we know there are still rumors of some films to come. We don't really know at all what they will be, but they've all but said they're scaling back on films for a while to focus on this Disney Plus medium, this digital content. Um, and like you said, too, with the overload, the amount at the same time, the last time we saw that was when we saw the release of Last Jedi, and then six months later, we had the release of the Solo I'm, movie. I'm still going to put movie. back on that Marvel releases like three films a year <laughs> back in the heyday pre-pandemic. That, but we've kind of been trained to expect that with Marvel, with Star Wars, and I think they're. I'm learning more and more that the crossovers on those fan groups certainly exist, but they're not as they don't run as side by side as I once would have imagined. No, no, yeah, I love the Marvel. I love the Marvel movies. And I enjoy them, but as somebody else I've heard say several times, I think I've gone and seen each of the Marvel movies. The ones I have seen in the theater, I've seen them one time, and I wasn't like, holy cow, I really need to go see that again. But I'd watch Star Wars as many times <laughs> as I can. Whereas Marvel people, you know, it's they're, they're overlapping circles, but they're not necessarily you know, fully lapsed. And so there, I think there are some differences there, but maybe that's a whole other conversation for us to have one day. Uh, I would agree. I'm, what I'm saying is, is if you had done force awaken at Christmas and rogue one in the, in the summer, I don't think, I I don't think anybody would have been like, it's too much because those were two pretty. So you're just taking shots at solo now. No, what I'm actually, no, I (laughs) actually, I had not a huge issue with solo. I think that, and and I said this back on our, you can go back and, and listen to the real Nick Milkey. I think I think I think Han Solo was a solid like B movie like a you know right but the problem was it was just weighed down by a divided fan base and just After and and yeah I I think that I think if you had the division started with Last Jedi and Solo caught the aftermath of it yeah I, and so I mean anyway and and I think that there were people being like we didn't why do we what is the story why why do we have the story 
And and to me, Solo really did feel like, I'm sorry, it felt like uh, something that uh, a think tank came up with, like a, not like a think tank, but like a, like a focus group. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I feel like Rogue One is more somebody watching the crawl and going, I want to see that. Like, I feel like one was like a corporate thinking one and one was like a fan, like fantasy. Does that make sense? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like they're like, who's the most recognizable Han Solo? Okay, well, let's do a, a young version of Han Solo. There wasn't like, we got to have a story. And so anyway, I, I feel like, anyway, but, um, but Nick Milky, the, the tragedy. tragedy, which by the way, when that title popped up on the screen, I was <laughs> like, well, this is not good. We knew where this was going. And it, if you were at all like me, in, and well, you weren't like me in this respect, I don't believe. Um, my four-year-old woke me up at 425 this morning and I put her back in bed and I tucked her in and I got back in my bed and I laid down and I may have closed my eyes for about 10 seconds before it occurred to me in my sleepy brain. Oh, Mando's out now. So I grabbed my phone and put my AirPods in and I laid there and watched it in my bed at 425. And then went I've had a sleep. weird, I've had but a weird when, week and, and, and my wife is on <laughs> quarantine and all of this stuff. And, uh, and so, uh, I did, I forgot today was Friday. And so nice. all of a sudden I looked nice. down and there's a little push notification. Uh, you got a new Mandalorian. And I was like, <laughs> I do. And I was like, this is Christmas sure morning. Um, absolutely. Well, well, knowing what was coming, not only the lead from the, the title, but if you were like me, the split second, they showed the recap. And the very first thing they show in the recap yep. was Finnick Shan laying on the ground and those feet walking up. I went, I know where this is going. I didn't expect it to go to Tython, and we'll get into all that. But chapter 14, it is entitled The Tragedy. It is written by John Favreau and directed by Robert Rodriguez, which I think there are some very Robert Rodriguez elements hmm. to this episode. And I will say, too, and I thought a lot about this this morning after watching it and having that thought, I thoroughly enjoy the way they are doing this series. And surely with another gallery series coming in later this month, we're going to get to hear some more about it. But the different influences of the different directors throughout all the episodes of both seasons we have seen so far is so varied and for what we talk about with something like the movies and with the sequel trilogy, how we said, if there was one director that got the whole trilogy, how cohesive and unique and, you know, could have helped with some of the issues that we've talked about for this, I think it works magnificently oh, yeah. and to go from a Bryce Dallas Howard to a Taika Waititi to Carl Weathers to Robert Rodriguez, their own influences. And maybe it's a part of me, becoming more of an adult and paying attention to different things. But like, I see it and I see the influences and how this episode felt different than that one. And it really is fascinating. And so I loved to have somebody like Robert Rodriguez, who, you know, does a lot of, I don't want to generalize it just as horror, but he does a lot of different stuff and it's got, you know, he did El Mariachi, Sin City, he did Spy Kids, <laughs> um, Machete, um, you know, he has a Dust Till Dawn mm -hmm. TV series. You know, he has such a wide range of the kinds of things he does that you don't automatically think, yeah, he'd be good for a Star War. But here we are. And it was well, and and I think that what that shows is, yeah, you can. It's, the original idea was with the saga films is we'll have different directors and it will give us this texture that you're talking about here. And, and, and I agree. I think the texture mm -hmm. of the different directors really adds 
something amazing uh, to this uh, TV show because it does, it keeps it very fresh. You have different styles and all this. And I, I think that the reason why that works here and did not work there was because if you were to sit John Favreau in a room and, and there was no way that you could, if you were able to put Favreau and Filoni in a room and say, tell me how this ends, that they could, that there's an actual mm-hmm. story and a plan. Uh, and that allows the directors to come in and play. Uh, as opposed to play and create at the same time. So anyway, but uh, I think Rodriguez knocked it out of the park. I had a lot of vibes. You, you, you know what this? You know what this really reminded me of watching, especially the Stormtroopers land. It reminded me. It, to me, I would not have been shocked if someone gave the note of, "I want you to imagine storming the beaches of Normandy." I mean, it was right. very much a war film. Very much tactics. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it really, I mean, and, and you had the interesting role reversals of the empire, normally, you know, the Nazi empire, you know, they're the ones landing sure. and storming the beach. Uh, and, and so mm-hmm. but it was just, it was a really, and, and you know what Mando had, he, had he did the have the high ground. <laughs> well, let's get into our five, uh, our five things. Nick, uh, what was, uh, what was your favorite, uh, part of this episode? I mean, it has to be. Boba Fett and Slave <laughs> One, um, and not to make one thing into two things, but they go right together. I think we knew, like I said, seeing those feet in the recap next to Fennec Shand, it seemed all but obvious this mm-hmm. is going to be our Boba Fett episode, which I didn't know if we would get at all, to be honest. I think I had said at one point that what if that was all we got was Tamura as a tease, and that was it, or I kind of used the big Thanos arc of you know a long long chase. Um, but we get Boba Fett. We get Boba Fett in action. A Boba Fett that helps cement maybe some of mm-hmm. the legacy of being the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy. We've never seen him do his thing. We have never seen him do his thing. And I have said, and not you know to any great dismay, I think, of anybody, but Boba Fett's cool. But Boba Fett has never been one of the characters that I've freaked out about in Star Wars like so many other people have and have a deep, deep love for. He's cool. He's a cool guy in a helmet. But he had like four minutes of screen time in the original trilogy and he got knocked into a sandworm because somebody accidentally bumped <laughs> his jetpack. And so that gave it that weight of like, well, he's supposed to be the most awesome in the galaxy and this is all we really got from him. And then you get young Boba in the Clone Wars and some of that. Um, so it was fun to see Boba because he is an original trilogy character. Um, honestly, to see Slave One come in and to mm-hmm. hear the engines before you saw it on the screen was just, that, that gave me a little bit of a chill. It was fantastic. So I'm excited to see that. I was really impressed with Tamira Morrison and his physicality. Um, I read something online earlier this morning that, you know, he's from New Zealand and there's a part of one of the tribes of New Zealand that has a style of martial art that deals with staffs and sticks and all that, which could very well have informed his abilities with that gaffy stick as he was just laying waste to stormtroopers one after another. Um, so yeah, my favorite part was Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite part of this was honestly, as I was and it, it dawned on me as Carlos Esposito, like left Grogu cell of they are ac- mm-hmm. acting the mess out of this streaming TV show. I mean, yes, they with, are. Even Tamura, I mean, uh, you look at Tamura's acting during the prequels versus now, mm-hmm. Tamura was acting his head off. I mean, absolutely. And 
some serious scene and, chewing and, going uh, on. The the char- the actress that plays Finnick Chan. Um, uh, what what? Oh my gosh! What's her name? I had it up just a second ago. Um, yes, Ming Na Wen, uh, who is fifty seven, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, has been in so many things. I did not know her really until this, but I've gone back and like looked at her stuff. But she, I mean, everybody is doing like a hundred and ten percent. Totally, and it is, and and that I mean, it's just one of those things of everybody's acting is is stepped up like crazy on a, I mean, I would say like cinema level acting in a in a in in not a primetime TV show in a streamed TV show. Yeah, this is this is premium cable quality, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Deadwood. You know, the stuff that and we've become more accustomed to that over the years with the advent of those shows, you know, this higher, higher quality way to make a series or a TV show. Um, and they're bringing it to something like this, too. Which anyway, is I was phenomenal. just I was just like, good. I mean, I, I, the whole time I, I know I should have been like in, in my head, like as Carlos Esposito is, is acting his head off with with a puppet, you know. Uh, with, with in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a in a sword that will be CGI'd later. Like I'm like this guy <laughs> exactly. is crushing this scene, acting against really a good. puppet holding a fake sword. Like that is that's just impressive. I, so anyway, my favorite part of this was you got some honest actors going crazy in this, uh, <laughs> and it and it just it it raises the level of the whole thing. It raises the enjoyment of it because we know when. You, you know, you, I, I think back, you know, you watch the original trilogy. There's some bad acting in the original trilogy, but it's such a good story, right? And it's, and it's so well shot right. and the effects. But, I mean, there's some scenes where when Luke's talking, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so annoying. But, like, when he's complaining about going down to get power converters or whatever, it's just so whiny and poorly acted line. But, I mean, it's good acting here. So, anyway, that's my, that's my favorite mm-hmm. thing. But, Nick, what was, your, uh, what was your one nitpick? What was your least favorite well, my least favorite thing, and I wasn't didn't know that I would feel this way until it happened. But R.I.P. to the yeah. Razor Crest, that thing got smoked right out of the ground, and we're not putting this one back together with calamari fishing nets. It is, but the fact done. that there's been some visceral, um, like, how dare you get rid of this? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's not it's not been around long. And the, and to be honest, that's how. I, my biggest fear when Rise of Skywalker came out was that that's what they were going to do to the Millennium Falcon. And I don't know that I would have recovered from it. Um, but, yeah, my least favorite part was the Racer Crest. I mean, it just got destroyed. Now, again, it opens up interesting storytelling doors. What if by the end of this, Boba ends up with Slave 1 somehow? Because, I mean, Mando ends up with Slave 1 because either Boba gives it to him or something happens to Boba and he assumes it because there's a Mandalorian brother. Like, there's obviously a reason for it, um, but it also, you know, some other things that we lost in that. We lost the bones of Zero the droid, so there's not any more chances of that being resurrected. The long rifle appears to be gone. Um, he does pull mm-hmm. that Beskar staff out of there. And seem, the Beskar staff is the only the two knob. things. Those seem to be the <laughs> only two things, which begs the question, is the knob made of Beskar as well? Um, but yeah, I hated to lose the Razor Crest. It has become an enjoyable part of the show and the character it has a lot of they've done a good job I and mean, it's had more than nine lives throughout this run it's been beaten up a bunch of times and put i would say together, the razor but... crest out of all the ships uh just gut reaction i would say the razor crest has 
has not has in no way achieved the same level as the Millennium Falcon of, of being its own character. Sure. But it is in the top five of being in its own being its Without own character. Slave One is also in that top five. I think Slave One. I think the Ghost yeah. goes into that category. But even the Ghost, um, they don't. Did they Falcon, really make Falcon the Ghost a character, or is it just the ship that they rode on? You know, like I it. I think yeah. it, I think it had character. I definitely did, um, and especially when you have the loss of. Um, oh yeah, uh, um, I can't remember. Crud, I can't either. But they lost the first one, and then they got the new one to you know go in and replace it and right fly on the top of it. Um, it was where they lived. It was their home. It did some cool stuff that we hadn't seen. The magnetic yeah. cargo area. Um, it showed us a lot of different ways to link up to other ships. So, yeah, to me, the ghost definitely falls into that category, and then. You know, you could say, and maybe the other one would be an X-wing. It's not a transport, but it is. But it's also there's lots of them. It's not. Yeah, like, there's, there's so many X-wings. You know, there's not like Luke's X-wing or even Poe Dameron, who's supposed to have this like fancy. I, right. I mean, and they blew that up anyway. But um, but no, I think <laughs> Razorcrest is one of those like ships who who achieved character status almost. Um, for sure, and and and, sure. and you had that interesting, you know, Mando was so sleek, Beskar, and but he then he had a, this rickety, <laughs> rickety ship, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He was he was a man on his way. So out. Now, now we get a Beskar ship. Um, That's right. Next, all make the whole ship exactly. Out of black box, isn't that what um, they say about For me, the one thing that what kind of drove you? me a little nuts, and and it's one of those things of, and they had to do it because if you if you didn't do this. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. Is when, basically, they're in they're in their their standoff, right? Finnick, uh, Mando, and Boba are in the standoff, and basically they all decide that they're going to lower their weapons. And Boba Fett says, "Yes, lower your weapon, take off your jetpack." When that was first said, I was like, well, "That's a random thing to say." Take off your jetpack. Did not, and because I don't think even our Mandalorian Din Djarin has the missile, like Boba Fett. I mean, his right. jetpack is nice. just for flying, so that didn't make a lot mm-hmm. of sense. And, but the reason they had sure. to they had to get the jetpack off of him because there's that ending scene where he needs to run back to the temple and not and not and not fly he up. The, fly there's up there's there. a reason why at the end he doesn't need he can't have a jetpack. So right. it, and to me that's that's not the best writing because it. It it did make it, it, it did make sense at the moment. You. It took me out because I was like, "Why give up his jetpack? Why not take off your whistling birds or drop your drop your gun mm-hmm. or I mean anything like that?" It's it's take off a, a really a non uh, more of a defensive thing than a uh, you know it's like drop your shield, but you can hang on to that sword when when you're going to need that shield uh, you know later on, and and the fact that like once they're like, "Oh, we got incoming." Right. They uh, what do they do? They uh, he, he leaves his jetpack behind for no reason, as opposed to, OK, hang on, right. throw this back on. Throw so, this I mean, back they on had him take it off and then they didn't give a good reason why he kept it off. And, and the whole reason was, well, it's because he we don't want him flying up after, you know, we, we need this to end with right. Grogu being captured completely. Correct. It gives the opportunity and that was the one thing. I was like, that's that. a little, that's a weak storytelling. I mean, and you really could have easily done it with, <laughs> he got it shot by a stormtrooper or something sure. like that. And, ah, my jetpack's fried. And, and, and anyway, that was just something that kind of drove me a little bit. And, and it was one of those things where it wasn't at the end where I was like, 
now I see it, it was and the moment that they're like taking <laughs> off the jetpack, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This it's doesn't make sense. And it's gonna play into something in a minute because there's no reason for Boba Fett to be like, take that jetpack off. Um Exactly. I can I can I can give So you that. what was the uh, pivotal plot point for this episode, Nick Milky? I think, gosh, I think there's three that I could potentially choose from, but I think what I'm going to go with is, um, as far as if, if our category is pivotal plot point and we're talking about the story we're in right now, I think the most pivotal is the fact that Gideon, Gideon has Grogu. That's, uh, that's, that's it. Um, he, has, he has been captured and maybe tied to that is that the dark troopers mm-hmm. are seemingly functional. Um we weren't entirely sure. We kind of got the impression at that other episode where it ended with him standing in front of all of them. And you hear the the speech from Dr. Pershing about how the other experiments failed the, you know, we need more material, all of that. So we weren't hundred percent clear whether those things worked or not, or was he needing more material because that was the experiment. And so we do see them, you know, he says, deploy the dark troopers. Well, it seems like the dark troopers they... have nothing to do with the cloning to me. I mean, Correct. And that's what and I think that's one of the things we learned from this um, is that these may be two separate things, even, you know, even if old, you know, old canon with the dark troopers or some sort of mix of genetic and robot, which they still could be. um, But this could too well be two different things. But for me, the pivotal plot point is Grogu is in the hands of Moff Gideon now. And so what does that mean? Does this mean? pickled snokes in jars does this mean you know any, any number of things yeah so that was i, I think me. that that and and up there with it is also boba fett wheeling around being like no we're in this with you now uh that's i mean the fact that he's For got sure. a little team and it's fennec shan and boba fett that's not a bad team to have mm-hmm. um and uh so i mean that's that's going to be interesting i really liked by the way the the scene of baby yoda just thrashing around stormtroopers um <laughs> tossing them and Gideon watching with interest like you would watch a yeah. dog play with a new toy. <clears throat> he was just like, hey, you're pretty good at that, but it sure was. Yeah, and out. that was really menacing. Um, I mean, he was just, Carlos Esposito, yeah. just terrifying person. I, I bet like he's one of those people who's like the nicest person if you know him in real life, but Oh, the interviews I have yeah. seen, of course I don't know him in real life yet. We're still working on that, but the interviews that you have seen He's just yeah. like, he's overjoyed to be doing this. And I think he knows, you know, he's going to act a little bit past 100% because one, why not? Two, it's Star Wars and let's go. I don't know. I mean, I have it, a so. bad feeling if, if there is thrown out there that Moff, that Moff Gideon's about to get clienteded, um, like we lost, mm-hmm. you know, another amazing person. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, if Moff Gideon keeps this up, he's going to become one of the most hated Star Wars villains of all time. Uh, well, and I, I heard another interesting take since you mentioned Thrawn very quickly. Um, we, I think we posited the question last I week. I don't think so. Are they working together? Or I don't think so either. And I think part of what I heard that made a lot of sense to me is everything we know about Thrawn is that Thrawn is beyond calculated, patient, waiting, sits and hides, or lays in wait, you know, this whole, that's his whole MO. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't seemingly, you know, do anything foolish, but Gideon, you know, when the, the Jason, um, 
what's his name? The baby punching episode Sudeikis, where they're on yeah. the speeder bikes and they punch the baby Yoda. Jason Sudeikis. That episode when he's radioing in, radioing in and they're like, yeah, he got upset, so he killed some guys. Like, Gideon has a temper and Gideon is, and Thrawn wouldn't have tolerated that. So if Gideon is working for Thrawn, I don't think that makes sense. I don't think he would tolerate having somebody reporting to him that was that emotional or hot tempered or, you know, off the cuff. So I, I'm leaning more towards the fact that they're not. I think last week's episode, together. we did not see one Imperial. I think, I think that there's, I think there's something right. else, but uh, there were some Easter eggs in this one. Um, and <laughs> if you want to say, including uh, uh, Bill Burr, but uh, <laughs> that, that was the <laughs> other Space thing. That I was like, why does he have to get Bill Burr? I'm happy Bill Burr's coming back. Well, I don't understand the logic necessarily, right. but what was your favorite Easter egg? My favorite Easter egg is um, mm-hmm. the blue butterfly. We have baby Yoda in the seeing, ti- seeing eye on Tython. He is locked into the force in a way that I feel like mm-hmm. we have not really seen before. We have this, I don't have a better word to describe it than some sort of force field. Um, Mando repeatedly tries to get through there to grab the kid and cannot and is being repelled at every turn. But there's this little butterfly in there and on his finger. Of course, my first immediate thought was, <laughs> oh, no, he's going to eat that. Um, but it flittered in and floated on his hand. And there is a long history in particular of these blue butterflies throughout a lot of different Star Wars stories. We see them in Rebels. We see them in Clone Wars. We see them there in the comic books. Um, we saw them also in chapter four of the Mandalorian which mm-hmm. was sanctuary when he's on the planet and he's playing with the little kids, there's a little blue butterfly and it seemingly could have some force connotations. Could it be a connection to Anakin? There's a clone wars episode when Anakin is badly injured and they're on a planet and there's some butterflies that they use as messengers. Um, could it be, you know, a connection to another force being is this kind of like, a loath wolf or a morai or you know any of these other we know the force is not just people the force is every living being every whatever but it was very interesting to me that that happened and didn't seem completely like you know a coincidence that they're on this thing and all of a sudden there's a butterfly in his hand um but i also think that it you know was a fun easter egg because again we've seen that over a long period yeah. of time <laughs> um I think I, I, I'm always and honestly I've, I've been watching the Picard series on uh, and and they have blue butterflies in mm-hmm. that one too, uh, which I'm, there's no uh, <laughs> crossover I'm assuming. But my favorite and you had to really catch it. But uh, do you remember the scene where they were uh, with Cara Dune and they were looking through all the uh, the kind of prisoner list or whatever to get us uh, Space Boston? Yeah, um, which I still mm-hmm. I don't get it. I mean. Clearly, the next episode is to break out Bill Burr to learn where Moff Gideon's ship is. How does Bill Burr know that? Right. Does he have? I, I don't. I don't get. I mean, I'm happy that. he's coming back. I'm. I'm failing in the logic a little bit. It's, I felt like that was a little jetpacky thing, <laughs> of like, okay, but why? Sure. Um, I, but well, um, well. okay. Well, first, I will say it, a great Easter egg was Tython. I was a little irked at the beginning that it was so easy mm. to get to Tython. But I'm glad that they did that, and here's the right. reason why. Everybody's at Tython at the end of this episode. And if it's this long and arduous thing to get to right. Tython, like it's you know, a long and arduous thing to get to Exegol, and then all of a sudden everybody's at Exegol, 
um, like it, it, it didn't like, I'm glad that they didn't do that. I'm glad that they didn't set up. It's hard to get here. And now by the way, everybody's here, but it was, uh, it was nice to see Tycon, sure. but there was uh, we had a cameo, uh, someone we've never seen before. And I'm curious if we're going to see him next week. And that is Mr. Nick Frost himself. Uh, we know that Nick Frost's uh, partner, Simon Pegg, has been in a bunch of uh, Star Wars and Star mm-hmm. Trek and even wrote a Star Trek. But Nick Frost, was uh, he had a mugshot on uh, one of those. And so I'm wondering about that. You know, I would not mind. Now, if you want to put two funny people together, Nick, Nick Frost and uh, <laughs> Bill Burr as cellmates. I think would be I think would be a quite an interesting <laughs> pair. Uh, so I I my hope when I when I saw it I was like that's nice that they gave him a little nod. And I was like no, this guy might be in next week's episode, and so I would be very happy to see Nick Frost in next week's episode. So <laughs> that that would indeed be fun. Um, a couple others that I noticed um, and kind of uh, this could have been one of my pivotal plot points, but if I was trying to limit it just to the advancement of this current story we're in, I don't know. I mean, it does fit in a degree, but we get mm-hmm. the backstory about Django from Boba. Yeah. A foundling, we learned yeah. that Django was a foundling, just like the Mandalorian, because for a lot of years, and I have been one to perpetuate this story was that Django was just a good warrior who killed a Mandalorian and took their armor and, passed himself off as a bounty hunter, as a clone model, as, you know, whatever. But we learned that he was a foundling. We see, you know, Boba's connection to that, the chain code thing, which also led Din to do the honorable thing and say, well, then that man, that armor does belong to you. He didn't put up a fight. He gave it back to him, which, of course, leads us to, you know, full-on hero-level Boba Fett, which, which was awesome. Before. But I thought that was really interesting. It was so awesome. Um, I also liked that he made the line. Just a simple man. The line, I almost, simple man yeah, making I almost did that. Verse, like uh, my father. That's mine, yeah. Um, that was a good one. And then the other one that I had was um, there's a episode. We get young Boba Fett in the Clone Wars series. I think it's at the end of either the first or second season. Um, pretty early on and... Bobo signs up with some bounty hunters because he's going to kill Jedi because he's driven by the revenge of the death of his father by Mace Windu. Um, And at some point, Hondo is a part of that story. And Hondo tells Boba at one crucial point in the story that he needs to act with honor Mm -hmm. because that's what his father would have done. And I think that feeds directly into what we see at the end of this episode. The child has been taken and Boba and Fennec essentially swear a similar debt of honor and gratitude to Din to say, well, you've got us, we're going to help you because it's the honorable thing to do. And I feel like that's a lesson that could be connected back to that Clone Wars episode when young Boba was being formed. Well, what do you want to know more about after seeing this episode? I want to know what's going on. That's me too. And and I really, Um, with, with seeing how they're using Boba, that, I, I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna make a theory. It's gonna crash and burn. Do it. <laughs> to me, <laughs> this seeing how they're using Boba Fett and that there's this team up for the child Boba Fett and the child, uh, you know, contacting a Jedi and all this stuff. It's got to be Mace Windu because any other <laughs> Jedi. I mean, Boba Fett didn't even really know who Luke Skywalker is, uh, right? 
Uh, but you put mm-hmm. Mace Windu, you put Samuel L. Jackson into this acting mix. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know, he's up for you it. You know, he's up for it. He's but all I think, but asked I think for you it. just have this interesting, you would have this interesting dynamic already set up here. Here is the man that killed my father uh, here uh, to, to team up with, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that. And what, and what about this? The tag, I'm with you on that. In fact, my friend Andy from the Holo Chronicles podcast, he's been on the Mace Windu I, train I wasn't since, sure about Mace Windu you know, until this episode because I was like. It, it makes a lot more sense. And also what about the idea because of what we got of Mace in the last run of the Clone Wars, we have a humbled Mace who has survived those attacks. The battle with Palpatine has survived to this point and um, is now humbled. And so he encounters Boba, who's, you know, bent on revenge and sees finally his opportunity. And I won't say there's some sort of healing. He cut the guy's dad's head off, but there's still there's a changed Mace. And whether that ends in the same result with Boba or not, but he's been through more because what we saw of him at the end of Clone Wars is he was very hardened and bitter. And he even says to Ahsoka, you know, he calls her citizen in a very snotty way. And, you know, you can go about your business. This isn't for you. And, you know, very, very high handed mace as opposed to a mace who's now survived, you know, his murder attempt and made it. To I just, I think that's galaxy. where we're going. Who? Well, I can't wait. Uh, to find next out. week is the penultimate. This is the second to last episode for the season. Uh, and I thought we were going to have a filler episode this time. I thought we were going to be getting space gas on Navarro or Tatooine. And I was like, nope, we're right at Tython. There, I, I'm more and more convinced there are no filler episodes in this series. Even the Gunslinger episode, as much as I don't care for it, it was not a filler episode because we have Finnick, we have Boba. I'm, I mean, yeah. We're like, and that was, and that, was and that, that feeling, just, yeah. Now, if we if we get if we get resurrected if we get resurrected Toro Calican with a ro- robot, I mean, and that was the we'll that was the hope. But... I mean, I think we said that after the Gunslinger is this feels like a bottle episode. It's super annoying. The you know, and 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 I think if we went back and listened to our uh, review of that one, our thing was why would you introduce someone so awesome as Fennec Shan just to kill her, like bring her back, and right. uh, and and what we said was. The only the only way you could redeem this episode is if somehow Fennec Shan is not dead, and that those feet are Boba Fett's. And those were the rumors back then, but we all talked ourselves yeah. out of it for a bunch of different ways. But as soon as you see Boba on Tatooine in episode one of this season, you go, "Yep, she's coming back." Like it, it all starts to connect back together, but. Mm-hmm. I think these guys obviously know what they're doing. I think there is a bit, I think there's a plan. And unlike shows over the years that started out great guns and fall apart somewhere because they didn't have a plan in sight, I think they have all of it mapped out. And it's just and a I will say, what can we hats do to off get there to along the way? Because in a show, uh, in, in a saga, that the that problem was is that death became cheap, uh, except for Han Solo's death. Mm-hmm. But like death kind of almost became a little bit cheapened. Uh, we did. Right. Phoenix Shand is resurrected. It's a little bit like, oh hey, good to have you back. But it is good to have her back. Like I'm happy that she's back. But you did have the death of the Razor Crest, like right next to it. And so, correct. 
Well, and that be- that begs maybe my wrap up question. The episode title is the tragedy. <laughs> what is the tragedy in this episode? Is it the death of the Razor Crest, or is it the capture uh, of Baby Gogurt? <laughs> but in, in, I mean, in, in season one, we had the death of IG Eleven. But it's interesting that that so far, mm-hmm. like good guy death, um, are so right. far we've not really lost anybody. We lost Quill. Yeah, we have Quill. Um, but you know, yeah. we lost a robot. A, a droid and a, and a ship. Uh, and so my thing is when you bring back Mace Windu, mm-hmm. we got to have, uh, to me, there, there's, I don't know, this is a good way to put it. There needs to be something sacrificed <laughs> on the altar to allow Mace Windu to come back because you, you can't, you can't live in a galaxy too long where death is cheapened because your stakes change. Um, Hey everybody, this is Nick. We had a slight technical difficulty right there at the end of the show, so I wanted to jump back in to say thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. We are excited for Chapter 15 next week. It's hard to believe we only have two left before the end of this season, so we can't wait to see what's coming next. We know that y'all are excited about it as well. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. Come find us at Will's Pod. If you want to leave us a voicemail or a comment that we could talk about on the show in our profile link on Twitter, you will find a link to our anchor page. Click on that. Leave us a message of some sort. We'd love to hear from you. And until we meet each other again out in that galaxy far, far away, may the force be with you always.